How about getting big data analytics from the app stores? I want to ask you this. Are you using real mobile data for your app store optimization and your mobile marketing? Well, Gummy Cube can get you the right data which will help increase your downloads. To go and find out more, go to www.gummycube.com. That's G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E, gummycube.com. And thank you to Gummy Cube for sponsoring this episode. Apptentive are the experts in mobile customer experience and in-app communication. So to check out whether your app is loved and get more love for it, go to apptentive.com forward slash appguy. That's apptentive.com forward slash appguy. And thank you to Apptentive for supporting this show. My name is John Bradford and you are listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. It's Paul Kemp. This show, I love this show. We get to speak to the most amazing people in tech from around the world. And uh, I'm going to just jump straight into this because who better to speak to us about tech than someone who's writing for TechCrunch. His name is uh, Steve here, and he is... Uh, writing for TechCrunch, editor at TechCrunch, but also he's got a wonderful long history in technology, in startups. And we may even be able to tease out from him uh, his experience of uh, starting up a company called Beeple. So, but for the time being, Steve, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, uh, I mean, first of all, uh, tell us about like uh, TechCrunch, writing at TechCrunch. How, uh, how many years have you been doing it? Um, so I've been a technology journalist for ages, but I think I joined TechCrunch in 2009 and stayed for about almost two years. And then, as you mentioned, uh, I did go off and do a startup and then I came back about three years ago. You know, let's just jump straight into that startup because a lot of people <laughs> listening to this show uh, are going through the same thing. They're either thinking about starting a startup or wanting to do their own thing. Now, you've had the good fortune of trying a startup and and you've also got the good fortune of being in technology for years and being an influential writer and totally tapped into the tech press. So it must have been a big hit for you when you um, you, you went through your startup. Tell us about the story. Yeah, so I mean, I've been doing like mainly covering European startups for TechCrunch for like almost two years. And you, you get to talk to like tons of entrepreneurs particularly at the early stage, so before they get big and before they have their own PR people. And um, my background before journalism was a mixture of teaching, uh, web development and stuff. So I've always considered myself to be a bit of a product type person and I like the, the creative process. So you're talking to all these entrepreneurs and, you know, and you're seeing them raise, raise funding and launch really cool, cool products and you sort of think, at some point, well, I started to think, you know what, like, I'd love to be on the other side of the table. And then um, an opportunity came up where uh, a very, uh, very, very, like, talented uh, developer, tech type person approached me to do some consultation, which I don't really do, but like, I, I offered to look at the product and he was just going to just get some advice. And then, I don't know, like, he, he kind of taught me into getting a bit more involved and then it came to a point where he said, do you want to be a co-founder? And like, that was really, really tempting. And after a lot of persuasion, uh, I, I quit TechCrunch and co-founded 
yeah, this startup with someone I met online. Steve, I'd love to pick up on what you just said about quitting because a lot of people uh, I know listening to this right now are thinking those same thoughts about quitting, but it, it is a massive risk in terms of that that leap of faith how did you overcome the, the feeling of just taking a big risk and uh, you know talk us through how you overcame it and actually did it yeah sure um so i made it publicly i made it seem like the decision was quite decisive but it really wasn't because i kind of had the impression that you know you, you, in tech journalism tech grant is pretty big so i felt like i'd reached you know the sort of premier league of tech journalism and I wasn't really sure if there'd be a way back once I quit. So I really, honestly, I spent weeks and weeks and weeks uh, deciding. I remember in our pitch deck for the startup that we were pitching to investors, I even maybe slightly jokingly put like interim CEO or ICO, which I think Steve Jobs used when he came back to Apple. That's how kind of, yeah, like slightly, I suppose, daunted I was about like quitting journalism and doing a startup. So I think it is something that you, you know, you, you really think think over. But on the other hand, I saw this as a really, really unique opportunity to, like I said, uh, swap sides at the table. And rather than writing about other people's stories, hopefully write um, a story of our own, right? And, and, and how did you go about the initial stages then of uh, raising money, getting uh, you know, good exposure about the idea. Talk us through the early part of uh, your journey with uh, Beeple. So we, we we raised at the worst possible time because we literally didn't have any money left. Like the uh, the co-founder, the technical person, had already developed quite a lot of the technology on his own and was literally, like, unable to pay rent. So that's when we, we, we quite desperately went fundraising. We had a lead with a Prague-based uh, VC, called Credo Ventures. And so at the point when I quit TechCrunch was the point when we'd already started talking to Credo Ventures. So we knew there was a very good chance of of closing a funding round with this particular VC firm. Um, but, you know, again, as a journalist, I covered like funding rounds, you know, time and time again. But I'm going to be honest, I didn't really fully appreciate the fundraising process. And particularly that when you're you know, when you when you get a VC who says yes and maybe you're offered a term sheet, that's when the negotiations really start. And I remember um, the first, like, long phone call I had with the partner of the VC firm um, when we started to negotiate what was originally not a particularly favourable term sheet because we were so desperate. Like I said, we were raising it entirely the wrong time. You should always raise money when you least need it because then you have a stronger negotiating position. And I remember after this first phone call, and seeing the first term sheet, I, I remember phoning up my dad and saying, you know, I've just stared capitalism in the eyes and I think I blinked first. <laughs> it's what, I don't think we've had on the show anyone who's talked talk such in detail about that, um, you know, process. And, and so did you eventually win out? I'm guessing that the negotiations uh, went okay and you, you did actually manage to raise some money? Yeah, no, we closed... Um, around on paper i think was nearly four hundred thousand dollars um european startups always announced it or try to if their funding round isn't too high they announce it in dollars it always makes it look better (laughs) (laughs) but the the original term sheet wasn't brilliant and i did you know multiple negotiations phone calls i mean really serious like 
stalemate at one point. Um, managed to get the term sheet knocked into shape a bit more. And by the end, I think both me and the VC were sort of happy that we'd moved the right amount, if you know what I mean, so that no, because this is the weirdest thing about fundraising, right? And I thought about this as a journalist since a lot. It's, it's a complete conflict of interest because when you go into a fundraising negotiation, your job is to make the investor think you're a brilliant proposition, right? So, like, in a way, you're tempted to tell them what they want to hear. But the minute you sign the term sheet and then you do the shareholder agreement and the money lands in your bank, then you're, they're in effect, they're your partner, right? So you're no longer wooing them. You're, you're like meant to be totally on a level playing field again and you have to literally level with them. And then um, the startup we did wasn't very successful, to say the least. So you're in a partnership where you, you did everything to make yourself look as attractive as possible and then in effect you get married and they see the, uh, the warts and all, I guess. <laughs> That's a beautiful way of putting it. And so uh, what what happened then? Because uh, ultimately you learned a lot of lessons and, uh, you know, the the risk of you never getting back into tech was completely, um, you know, a fallacy because you did. Mm -hmm. what, 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 um, what did you learn from the whole experience that you could uh, help teach us? So I learned that... Um, I guess sort of several things. The biggest surprise was the startup failed, right? Ultimately, um, it was a consumer facing product. It was a site where uh, an app where anybody could ask a question and anybody could answer the question. So in some ways it was a little bit like Quora, um, but with a difference because we had some smart tech that looked at the questions and, and that you'd already answered, looked at your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your Facebook, and essentially redirected uh, the questions that people asked on the site to those that we that our technology uh, decided who was best to answer. So it tried to match questions in a smart way to those who could answer them. So it had some cool tech. It got really, really positive reviews. Um, obviously, with a journalism background, I worked very hard, but managed to get us covered in every single tech publication, uh, more or less, and even uh, places like CNN. So it, it launched very, very publicly. But ultimately, it obviously didn't solve a problem that resonated with enough users and we, and we ran out of money. So um, it failed in that respect. So I guess what I learned was really, really in, in a harsh way was that no matter how much publicity you get, how much hype you build, um, how strong your relationships are in the industry, if a product doesn't resonate with enough people, if the problem you're solving isn't one that enough people have, um, then, then you're probably not going to succeed. And also... I've been told many times, but I've had loads of people told me at the time, it's probably harder to launch a consumer-facing um, startup maybe in Europe than it is in the Valley because in the Valley there's more people that, will, that in effect, more early adopters that will help to, you know, make your, your thing get a certain amount of pickup um, and spread a bit more virally, I guess. But that said, you know, this, this was a few years ago and the App Store and... Um, platforms that help your product move quicker. I mean, everything's getting quicker and quicker. But um, so that was one thing I learned that that PR is not a, a, a magic bullet by any means. Um, and the other thing, 
Yeah, can I, I just pick you up on that? Sorry, Steve, can I just pick you up on... Uh, it's just genius what you've just said. It, seriously, uh, because everyone listening to my show over a length of time knows that I repeat this time and time again. It's about solving a real-world problem. Uh, and and that's the thing I've learned from 378 episodes of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've just confirmed that it doesn't matter because often people think it's publicity, but but it is about building something awesome that is actually solving a problem. And I love that you've picked up on that uh, huge theme that runs throughout my show. And the problem has to be big enough. Just from a commercial point of view, you may solve a problem for a thousand people. Maybe that problem is a massive problem for those thousand people, but that isn't probably going to be a business. Good. Okay, so you just added to it, which is uh, solve a problem, but solve a, a problem that's that's going to affect enough people to, to create a business from. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So that was one lesson. I, and the other thing I learned was I honestly thought that when I quit journalism that my uh, my address book, my contact book, which wasn't bad back then, it's a lot, lot better now, but it was pretty good, uh, would probably become useless overnight. Because when you're a journalist, you're pitched stories, everybody wants your help. Um, you you can do a lot for other people, um, so they're very nice to you, right? And so, and when I when I did the startup, I, you know, maybe slightly cynically, but just because honestly, people want your attention so much when you're a journalist. I thought, right now I've quit. Like most of my Twitter followers, people I've, I've, I've established a good relationship with, I'm no longer useful to them. And what I found was the opposite: was that actually in this industry, people are are very very willing to help, and we. Even though we failed, we got tons of help. There were there were technical problems we couldn't solve, and I just I literally emailed content and said, "Hey, I know you did a startup a few years ago that solved a similar problem," and people just I don't know it was really really heartwarming the amount of help I got um, on that journey. Yeah, and I almost want to echo that in the app world as well among app on, uh, app entrepreneurs, appreneurs, it is the same. And for anyone listening who is deciding whether to get into this game, you've heard it from Steve there that it is uh, truly a remarkable uh, thing that's almost very collaborative, even though many of the uh, ideas are crossing over and there's potential uh, competition. We're going to have to switch to journalism now, tech journalism, because you are at TechCrunch and uh, no doubt I have been in touch with uh, many of the listeners who have come out with some um, you know, t- t- sort of specific questions. Do you mind if we go through a few of these? No, no go for it. Cool. Um, th- one of the um, listeners was uh, wondering, like with um, sites like TechCrunch, uh, how do you manage the relationships uh, as a journalist with the large companies, with the, you know, the really big uh, VCs or the large companies that have uh, fully staffed uh, PR agencies? Uh, and, and how does that compare with the smaller indie uh, app develop- developers or the smaller startups? So, I mean, the big companies have, I mean, we're talking about the huge companies, the Facebooks, the Twitters, I mean, they have internal PR people and sometimes even a PR agency on top of that. So, I mean, you tend to know who, you tend to get to know who the PRs are um, and hopefully, I mean, a tech crunch, if I don't have a contact, somebody else does. So reaching out to those big companies is pretty standard. Um, How does it compare? So... With the smaller indie companies or the startups, they often don't have a PR agency or they think that if they hire one, that's their PR done, right? Um, that's a mistake because if you're, if you're the kind of journalist that I am where you're covering really early stage stuff, you want a relationship with the founders. 
Like, they're the best people. They're the people that can almost always tell their story, talk about their product better than anybody else with more passion and more knowledge. So um, I guess the difference is, you know, big companies are very corporate. They have layers of PR. Smaller companies either do it themselves in a very naive way, which I quite like, uh, or they or they hire an agency. Now, when they hire an agency, they're often in a situation whereby if they hire a bad agency, the agency has much bigger clients, so they're they're not very, they're not really worth too much uh, to them. And like I said, or like I alluded to, there's a mistake if you hire an agency as a small company, that's not PR done, right? It's not like it's not like hiring a cloud uh, provider, right? Tick the box, right? We've got our cloud, you know, <laughs> right? Okay, it, it, it's the beginning, it's not the end. And um, I know with this sort of avalanche of Kickstarter campaigns, which we, we're really tired, as journalists, we are so tired of products that get announced two years before they're going to hit the market because they're doing a Kickstarter campaign. But I've had people write to me, startup uh, founders, and say, you know, we've, we, nobody's backing our Kickstarter, but we hired an agency, they're really expensive, and we still can't get any pre-sign-ups, you know? So, uh, that's yeah. not their pitch, is it, by any chance? <laughs> it practically is, yeah. That's crazy. Right, okay. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the difference, really, is uh, yeah, big companies have massive PR machinery, which is layers of PR, which can sometimes slow things down. Small companies are uh, indie. They either do it themselves, which is okay, but obviously some are better than others, or they outsource, and if they outsource wrongly, it, it backfires because they think the job's done, and really it's not. Well, Steve, that's music to anyone who is listening, uh, music to their ears, because uh, we often want to think that there is a level playing field. And as these big tech companies and big sites, you know, grow up, uh, the smaller indie uh, entrepreneur, smaller startup founder can sometimes feel like it's a bit uh, against them if they don't have the money. But it's nice to hear that, you know, from your perspective, you're on top of this and, and, you know, you, you want relationships with the founders and, yeah, I mean, I can give, I'll give you an example, right? The other thing I was going to say is it gets back to what we're saying about solving a genuine problem or creating an awesome product that people like in enough numbers. I know um, there's an app called Dub Smash, which has blown up over the last year or so. And um, they, they didn't pitch me. I reached out to them because I was getting told by so many people this app is blowing up, right? So... So oh, I see. So yeah. you don't want to be left out in a way. You've got to. You've got to identify the trends early and and, yeah. and make sure that you're on top of them. So that, that's right. Yeah. Because I mean, as a tech blogger or tech journalist, whatever you want to call it these days, my job is is I have several things I try and do, but one of the things that every tech journalist or influencer does is they're a filter, right? Their job is to filter out the crap and introduce to readers the good stuff. I mean, on a very basic level. So every now and again, there's a breakout hit like Dub Smash, where, you know, if we weren't, even if we weren't the first to break that out, we can't ignore it, right? You can't ignore an app that's doing that well. So again, it gets back to just build, build a product that's good, that solves a problem or resonates with enough people, and the PR, to a certain extent, will take care of itself. That, that is fantastic tips. So how about this one then? Um, as an app entrepreneur, and I know you get this many a time, so um, answer it how you like. Uh, how do people catch your eye? Uh, because you talked about, you know, wanting to uh, look out for things that are really blowing up and speak to the founders. But how, how's the best way of making that initial contact with you and catching your eye on something? 
So if it's a, an app that hasn't yet launched, but it's say going to launch in maybe a couple of weeks' time, then it's literally just, just email me, tell me what the app does, why it's better or different to what already exists, and give me a, a kind of sense of the timeline of, of you know when it's launching. Because if it's too much in advance, I kind of go, okay, whatever, get back to me in, you know, in a, a week before you're ready. Uh, and if it's like today or tomorrow, you, you have a chance of missing out for me personally because I'm usually pretty booked up on trying to launches. You know, we, we have like breaking news. We have scoops that I'm trying to chase where I've been given some inside information. I'm hunting down contacts, trying to get a second source for it so we can run it. And then we get stuff that is pre-planned. So a, a funding announcement that's going to happen in a week's time or an, or an app launch. And, and those kind of pre, what I call manufactured news, uh, is stuff that I put into my schedule. So it's always good to give me a little bit of a heads up. I thought a week, a week is kind of perfect, including a weekend. Um, but it's basically just tell me what, what the app does, what the problem is that it solves, and why it's different and hopefully better than what already exists. Because to be honest with you, most apps don't feel particularly original. Um, and in a sense, that's a good thing because if somebody else is trying to solve the same problem, then it sort of validates that, that problem maybe actually does exist for enough people. Um, but you, I always need to know what the differentiation is. Why is it better? Why, why is the stuff out there not very good? Um, and you see this time and time again that many apps just simply take an existing problem that already has some solutions, but we all, we all know of this. What's out there just isn't good, right? And, and that something comes along that's much better. It's time to thank the episode's sponsors. Gummy Cube are dedicated to helping your mobile app find its audience. But why is mobile data key? Well, real mobile data improves app store optimization and increases and increases quality users. And this is why it matters. 63% of all apps are actually discovered by the app store. And most search queries in mobile do not match the web. Targeting the right keywords can help increase your installs. Ranking for the right keywords is key to your success. And this is where Gummy Cube can help you out because they offer an end-to-end -end solution for mobile marketing and app stores and app store optimization. They offer apps. They're trusted by thousands of growth marketers and developers and will help you launch a campaign today. They've been trusted by people such as Digifit, Real Networks, Pop Sugar, Tap for Fun, LastPass. Uh, the list goes on. So why not go and check them out at www.gummycube.com. That's www.gummicube.com. And thank you so much to GummyCube for continuing to support the show. So let me thank Apptentive. They will give you the ability to communicate very effectively with your users. They have a, a dashboard insight where you can see lots of different ways on how your customers are using your app, who they are, what they care about, and then you get a chance to talk to them. And Apptentive will encourage you through the dashboard to think about ways to communicate with them. It really makes your journey as an app entrepreneur way more effective by using uh, Apptentive's uh, dashboard. So uh, to get a free mobile app consultation, go to apptentive.com forward slash app guy. That is apptentive.com forward slash app guy. It's free to sign up and they will be able to give you uh, a free mobile app consultation. Thank you so much to Apptentive for being so supportive. Now let's get back to the interview. Just moving on, like there's someone else wants to know, um, what do you feel about 
you know, the tech press in general, do you feel like there needs to be a push to uh, promote more diverse role models and more sustainable businesses? Uh, because there obviously is an element, as you said, of uh, hype on the latest thing. Uh, um, but do you feel like there's enough exposure to those sustainable models of um, tech? And uh, do you have a view on that? In terms of revenue models, you mean? Yeah, I think that the 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 actual um, listener is asking about. Um, uh, you know, you read everywhere about the the eighteen year old who uh, gets bought up by Yahoo and I all see. the kind of success stories, <laughs> but we don't get a good flavour, perhaps, of all the horror stories as well. Like, for example, I don't even know, you know, how much it, it was reported about, like your failure and stuff. Um, do you feel like we get enough? I feel like this is where the listener's going. Do you feel like we get enough exposure to those things that don't work as well? Or are we, is there a complete focus on the things that are blowing up and, and successful already? Um, yeah, we don't. There isn't enough written about failure or enough of the horror stories or enough um, of the bad news, right? Because it's, it, I wouldn't blame tech journalists. We work really hard to get our stories, to get our inside nuggets of information but at the end of the day everybody says they want the industry to be more open but those that are really in the know are the least likely to spill the beans right and what happens is when a an app or a startup fails you don't get a i don't get emailed a hundred times a day <laughs> by an app and that one's saying yeah. yeah my app launched but you know what it, we got a hundred downloads so we run out of money so we're going back to our day jobs right that doesn't happen <laughs> So, it, um, but I, I know if that is what the reader's getting, the listener's getting to, um, I totally agree. And I, I actually like writing about failure or near failure. I wrote um, a story about a startup that um, is doing really well now. I forget, who, forget the name. Um, but they took out a Wonder loan. So they took out like a payday loan. Oh, for wow. Business, uh, that that was had, brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when they had like, I don't know how many days left, 30 days or whatever. And now they're... Um, now they're fully VC backed. I think the company is Marvel, which makes a prototyping oh. app. I think that's. So, Genie, I've been using Marvel for, oh, what was it? Maybe a, I think I was told about it over a year ago, uh, maybe two years ago. So, that's amazing. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what, we'll um, take a link from you and um, we'll just confirm. That, that is it. And we'll put it on um, the website. So it's theappguy.co for anyone who wants to go and check that out, theappguy.co. Just search for the episode uh, with uh, Steve O'Hare. Um, Steve, are you okay to do one or two more of these? Yeah, sure. <laughs> a lot of people want, because obviously they don't get this this time, and I want to make sure that we cover um, a lot of the things that are uh, asked. So here we go. Um, what... Um, trends are you seeing amongst your readers? Uh, anything interesting that you feel is, is kind of a good insight, you know, in terms of products or services or apps that are coming out? What interesting trends are you seeing from your readers and what they're reading? Um, it's a hard one. Uh, I mean, I get to see trends because I get pitched so many ideas every day. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of there's a lot of emphasis at the moment on, on so-called on-demand, right? So apps that allow you to get something really, really quickly, which is interesting because it means the sort of the length to to purchasing a service and, and getting it is, is shortening. So that's like in in cleaning and obviously in, everybody calls themselves the Uber of, of X, 
So I you know that's one trend. That sort of short time, the different the time between thinking you want something and it arriving somehow is interesting. Um, and the other thing that I've, I, I still am astounded by is I get pitched a lot of uh, startups that are essentially taking a legacy industry and still moving it online. Like, you know, we're 2015 and there are still industries where people do things primarily with phone calls, fax machines, Excel spreadsheets. And a lot of startups I'm seeing are taking, a, a, in a sense, a business process and moving it, making it digital. So whether that be um, finding a room to rent or uh, tracking like farm, like you get farm tech or agriculture tech, like tracking farming processes that again were done with spreadsheets or pen and paper, uh, freight. I've covered recently a couple of startups that are moving the, the, the freight industry away from fax machines to online. And that sort of astounds me because you kind of, you think, well, that job surely would have been done like five years ago. Yeah, yeah that seems like a no-brainer. And yeah, but I think, wow. it's, and I think that, that's where um, that's where you cannot underestimate specific industry knowledge, right? Because I could probably get a developer and bash together um, a better way of tracking um, farming stuff, right? Like fields and weather and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, in terms of crop planning. But I don't know anything about farming, right? So I couldn't do that. I could do the tech side, but I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, and I could help design the products, but I don't have that industry knowledge. And that's what I still find interesting. There are still a ton of industries that haven't been digitized yet. And that, that surprises me. Yeah, you're kind of reminding me of the uh, example of Halo as well, where the three tech guys go and meet the three most seasoned taxi drivers mm -hmm. and had a really good insight and wanted to do something like Uber, but in London. And obviously that was successful. But, you know, you kind of, you think that the big uh, advantage they had was uh, in, insiders who knew the industry uh, back to front. Yeah, it has um, to be. And yeah, the, the weirdest thing is that, like, uh, as, a, as a tech journalist, especially a tech journalist, because I'm so focused personally on European startups, is um, sometimes it's not, a te it's not tech journalism, it's business journalism. And my biggest learning curve often on some days is literally getting my head around a whole industry that has nothing to do with tech. It's just that tech is coming along and is, if you like, disrupting the existing way of doing things, which is really, it's a, you know, it's a completely different way of looking at it. So it's not the tech that I have to understand. It's it's, it's a whole industry and why uh, a particular tech solution is going to change that industry, um, hopefully for the better, although not always. Steve, what is nice is that normally I have a section where we uh, try and flesh out an idea for an app, but I think you've just given a lot of people listening to this a, a great uh, idea, which is look around for industries that are in the... Uh, you know, um, the Stone Age in a way, and uh, just try and bring them into uh, the digital age. Uh, it just seems like an, an obvious, um, you know, w possible winning solution for uh, potential uh, problem solving. No, definitely. And those kind of startups, you know, software as a service, uh, have, have an inbuilt business model, which is people pay, right? They pay every month to use, to use that software because it, it makes that, pro that business process you know, orders of magnitude more efficient. Wonderful. There is only one more thing we need to do before we say goodbye, Steve, and that is uh, this is a show about apps. You 
obviously are inundated, your inbox overflowing with apps coming to the market. How on earth can we get you to uh, pick one or two? But uh, would you be able to give us one or two app recommendations of apps you feel like we may not have come across before? Do you know what? That's really tough because um, I feel on the spot now. Okay, really, tell you what, I'm, what's I'm on really, your home screen? How about I'm, that? You yeah, know, so yeah. Don't, yeah. I mean, I'm really traditional. I mean, seriously, because I have to get stuff done. You know, my home screen is, you know, a ton of uh, messaging apps. So, you know, WhatsApp and all that, and all, literally all of them virtually. I rely on Skype every single day. Um, and and I still do tons and tons of email. So I'm kind of quite boring when it comes to apps. Um, I like, I still am a big fan of uh, of Foursquare or Swarm. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, tech journalists are like probably the only people that use Swarm because they like to check in and see where they've been. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of funny. But no, I, I, I tend to try out a lot of apps for a very short amount of time, which is really in a sense, it's terrible. It's a demonstration of why the app market is so hard to break through because there are so many new apps and and, and often of a very high standard. In fact, that's one thing I've seen over the last few years, the standard of app design has improved, you know, markedly. Definitely, definitely. Steve, what a wonderful uh, chat with you. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. For anyone who wants to get uh, links, just go to episode 378 with uh, Steve-O here and you'll see links to um, Swarm and uh, to other things that we've talked about. I'll make sure we put those in there. S- Steve, in the meantime, how, how best can people uh, reach out to you? Um, uh, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, so, I mean, to be honest, email. I'm very responsive on email. My email is pretty public. You can put a link to it in, this, in the show notes. Um, and Twitter. I'm also really responsive on Twitter. I like how with Twitter, it's quite a good way of having a bit of banter, um, having a bit more of a human relationship with readers and people that want to pitch me. Um, that said, don't ever pitch me on Twitter. That's kind of annoying uh, because I manage everything in my inbox. So by all means, uh, exchange banter and good conversation and send me links to other stuff that isn't yours on Twitter. But if you want to do a serious pitch, email Keep it short, keep it sweet. Tell me why the product rocks, why it solves a problem, who it solves a problem for, and and maybe why it's better or different from what else is out there. Simple. I I do tend to reply to every email, um, and if I don't, then chase me up a couple of days later, and then I definitely do. Wonderful, Steve. That it's so wonderful to hear that because uh, I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs who just get disenchanted with the reaching out and never getting any response and to hear you say that is, is wonderful so I mean, thanks so much i guess the only thing other thing i say is you're going to get a lot of no's right so don't you know take it on the chin if you get a no and uh don't don't expect free. it sounds horrible but don't always expect feedback i get a lot of people lately when i say no they want to know why um and if i did that i wouldn't get any writing done whatsoever yeah they, they kind of forget you've got a day job as well so right. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Steve, thanks so much for joining us on App Guy. What a wonderful journey and uh, all the best with, um, uh, you know, your next uh, 10, 20 years. And uh, hey, don't get too um, uh, tempted for the next startup, but you never know if we'll have to keep a watch. Watch this space. Huh? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm sure I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure it will happen again, but not for not for a while. Right now, I'm loving I'm loving being back in journalism. So, yeah, thanks. 
So remember the sponsor Gummy Cube, they are supporting the show and they are changing the way that everyone uses data in mobile marketing uh, with their revolutionary Data Cube App Store intelligence software. To go and check out the features, go to www.gummycube.com, G-U-M-M-I-C-U-B-E.com and go and click on App Store Optimization and you'll see uh, links to Data Cube where it'll tell you all about it. Uh, that's gummycube.com and thank you to Gummy Cube for continuing to support the show. Also remember, this episode has been brought to you by Apptentive. They are sponsoring this show. Go and show them some love. Go and check out apptentive.com forward slash appguy. It's a unique page set up for us and they get to try uh, to help you with a free mobile app consultation. Uh, it will enable you to do effective two-way communication with your users of your app. So go to apptentive.com forward slash appguy apptentive.com forward slash app guy. Thank you so much to Apptentive for supporting the show. So as I continue this journey with uh, the App Guy podcast, I just want to thank these people who have left new reviews for me in iTunes, uh, five stars, all of them, and they just make me feel great. And also, actually, they help me move up the charts in uh, Apple, and it helps this podcast reach a bigger audience. Uh, if you are listening to this and you haven't left a, a review, then what are you waiting for? Uh, let me go through these. Heart Bedji uh, from Canada uh, on the 30th of October says uh, always filled with detailed insights a great podcast to listen to if you want to learn more about entrepreneurs in the app space and important lessons learned along their journeys awesome stuff and red rocket says paul you are the best in capitals uh, from the usa and he says i discovered paul when imano was live paul educates app entrepreneurs by giving them real perspective through his interview with his guests on his show keep going paul we love you oh, i love you too <laughs> red rocket really appreciate that uh, love it from uh, someone in france uh, fp tot and uh, he says paul is a great host and this show is not as us centered as the others which is terrific actually it is a show that goes around the world and it's nice to know that uh, we have an international audience it's a whole benefit of doing podcasting and um, dan dare says fantastic interviews paul has a natural style to get the best from his app entrepreneur guests the podcast is high on my list of favorite podcasts so go and do me a favor and leave a review in itunes it means a lot and that's where a lot of the uh, listeners are so uh, I really do encourage you, appeal to you, please, please, please do leave me a podcast review and uh, it just helps the show uh, reach more entrepreneurs and I know in this game is all about helping each other out. So why not help me out and get a review into Apple's podcasting app or iTunes. Thank you so much for listening to this and uh, I'll get another episode to you shortly.